Lord, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you love the Lord? Hallelujah. So wonderful, so precious. Thank you, Jesus. You may experience a lot of wonderful things in this world. You may know a lot of wonderful people and beautiful people and precious people in this world that enrich your lives in ways that you just can't imagine them not being there. But once you have tasted and seen Mm. that the Lord is good, more than just reading about Him, more than just hearing someone talk about Him, but when you have experienced that relationship like Brother Green was talking about last night, once you have felt that love and mercy wash over you and you've uh, felt those sins leave your, your immortal soul when you're baptized in His name. You, hey, let me tell you, you feel it when you come out of that water. You know that something is different. And, and once you've been filled with His Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory, once you've had that infilling of the Holy Ghost, you will realize that nothing earthly, even though created by Him, nothing earthly can compare to him, the relationship with him, the walk with him, the talks with him, the, the times in his presence, in his presence is fullness of joy. And a lot of things can make you happy in this life, but you'll never find fullness of joy except in him. And I'm thankful for him today. We ought to give him a hand and a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How wonderful, how beautiful, how precious the Lord is today. So thankful for the Lord today. And thank you for joining us again. Thank you to our music and our, our uh, praise team today for all that they've done and, and just singing and worshiping with us today. Uh, I want to say thank you to our media team, our sound people doing, coming and doing lyrics and making sure everything's taken care of today and have done so with all of our online services. Uh, even in this time, it still takes a team to make it work. It can't just be one person. And I'm thankful for the people God has given us to work and labor and to help us. And very thankful again today for, for Brother Green and Sister Green being with us today. Uh, dear, precious friends of ours and wouldn't take nothing for the input that they've given in our lives and for the influence they have in our lives and, and the voice they have in our lives. I appreciate them. I know our church does. God sent them uh, to us not just for us, but for our church. And they've always been a blessing and helped us. And so we appreciate that today. I want Brother Green to come at this time and preach to us today. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Praise the Lord. Love you, brother. Love you, my friend. Amen, amen, amen. We are celebrating also 13 years of a church here in Winterville and a pastor and a first lady who have shed countless tears, prayed many prayers, words of encouragement and strength and hours of study, talking to God about what you need, what we need to hear. And I want to celebrate for just the first couple of minutes here our first lady and our pastor. Do you love Ed and Candy Walden? Amen. I would encourage you, if, if ever there has been one message that this man has preached, if there's ever been one song that First Lady has sung, if there's 
ever been any words of encouragement or any prayers prayed over your life, just one card this week would be an awesome gesture. Maybe just a little gift card to let them get some restaurant to go is about all we can do right now. And <laughs> something to let them know you appreciate the gift that God has given you through your pastor and through his family. And I'm commending this church also for your tremendous hunger for the things of God. And I thank God today that God has allowed Lois and me to be a part of you here at Rack, and also to be such great friends so we can be a part of such great friends like Ed and Candy Walden. We love and appreciate them very much. I'm directing your attention today to the Gospel of John chapter 14. Feeling a strong anointing again in my spirit, so thankful for this. And I will begin to read at verse 26 and read two verses in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples that he will go away. And the reason why he'll go away is so that he can come back again in the power of the Holy Ghost. And while he has been with them, he shall be in them. And he speaks of this Holy Ghost here as. The comforter. Comforter is the word that we read here, the King James Version, English. The Greek word is paraclete, which speaks more than being a companion or one that is always with you. But it's one that makes up the difference. That whatever your need is, He makes up the difference in your life. This is what the Holy Ghost is. So I'm reading from verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm preaching to fearful hearts and troubled hearts in the place today that there is a peace that comes through the power of the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Ghost that even comes in the midst of your storm. Title simply, God's Peace. God's Peace. God bless you. Thank you for being respectful for the red word of God. We enter into his anointing with great faith today. Matthew 11 begins to tell us that there are three cities which are located on the mostly north, slightly northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. These three cities, Matthew 11 tells us, are Bethsaida, Chorazin, And the city of Capernaum. Capernaum, which the Bible tells us was the city of Jesus. It is actually where he lived for some time. Mostly in what we would say his adult or grown up years. And these three cities, Matthew 11 declares that most of his mighty works were done in these three cities. These are 
port cities, and they are within an eight-mile radius. It's almost inconceivable for me to imagine that most of the mighty works of the Christ, of Jesus our Messiah, were performed in an eight-mile radius on the north, northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But the Sea of Galilee encompasses more than these three port cities. Many, many more of the Lord's miracles, signs, and wonders were performed on the port cities around the Sea of Galilee. Indeed, some miracles even happened on the sea itself. On the shorelines, many teachings and many miracles happened. Even the calling of at least four of the disciples happened right there in the shallow waters or perhaps the immediate shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The Sea of Galilee is extremely prominent and important in the ministry of Christ. In fact, in the Gospels, you'll find 45 times that the Sea of Galilee is spoken of and mentioned of, some directly and some indirectly, but 45 times. When Luke speaks of the Sea of Galilee, he calls it Lake Gennesaret. Lake Gennesaret is another name for the Sea of Galilee. John refers to this same Sea of Galilee as the Sea of Tiberias. And in a matter of a few years from when some of the Gospels were written, the name of what we mostly now call the Sea of Galilee, looking from the Scripture, had three different names, but it's the same body of water. It is unique geographically or geologically because the Sea of Galilee is the lowest setting sea in the entire world. It is some 686 to 705 feet below sea level. That is the height of this sea. The only sea, in fact, that is lower than that is the Dead Sea, which in reality is not truly a sea, for the Dead Sea is salt water, as most of you know. But the Sea of Galilee is the lowest true lake or sea of fresh water in the entire world almost 705 feet below sea level. Its, its measurements are not huge. It is 8.1 miles across the Sea of Galilee and 13 miles from the northern portion to the southern portion of this, of this sea. It is some depths of 84 in average feet, and its deepest is approximately 141 feet deep. And for those of you here in this region, it is slightly more than uh, the Lake Lanier here in North Georgia. It has slightly more square footage or square miles as we would begin to put measurements to it than Lake Lanier. This is a large Sea, but it is not near as big as the Great Lakes or other seas that you might be familiar with here in the United States of America. In fact, it is said by historians that using oars and sails as the disciples would have, 
that this Sea of Galilee could be crossed with their equipment, their oars, their boat, their sails in two hours. Two hours. This was a convenient way for them to travel from one city of port to another city of port. It would save hours of time rowing instead of walking as they could traverse more quickly in the boat. So we find that very often Jesus is using a boat as his means of transportation, going to the Gadarenes to deliver, going to Bethsaida to heal blinded eyes, taking boats to Magdala, taking boats to other places so that he can travel as quickly as possible and get to as many places in ministry as he can. Mark tells us, now you'll have to understand this is very early in the book of Mark. In fact, Mark chapter 3 is the calling of the disciples, anointing of the disciples, and then immediately in the next chapter, we find that Jesus speaks to the disciples, and after a wearying time of ministry, where he has spoken and ministered to thousands, He gives them instructions, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, because of his weariness, both physically and spiritually from having given himself, he goes to sleep in the hinder parts of the boat. There he has some kind of pillow, or at best a makeshift pillow, and he's resting as the disciples, some of them fishermen, very uh, very uh, adept in being in the sea as they began to row and perhaps set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they are some ways into the sea, Mark 4 tells us that the winds began to pick up. Jesus instructed them, get in the boat and go across the sea. And in the middle of the instructions of Jesus, they are finding a storm is brewing. And it becomes so desperate as the waves get larger and rougher until they are having to spend time, no doubt, emptying the boat of the water that has crashed into the little boat. And there the disciples and Jesus, still asleep, Jesus in the boat, but still asleep. They are trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. Understand these are individuals that know how to traverse. They have done this many times. They have grown up being raised on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. At least two of these had family businesses of fishing. Two of these brothers and they understood that this was something that they would deal with. Oftentimes they have seen this. It's an interesting place, the Sea of Galilee. For it sets in an actual geological rift between two Tetonic plates, two Tetonic plates underneath the surface of the ground, and there is a tremendous falling of water that begins in Mount Horeb and in Mount Lebanon, where the Jordan River begins, and the melting snow picks up tributaries, and the Jordan River quickly falls from mountaintop highs 
quickly fallen, descending to 706 feet below sea level to where the Dead Sea is. Because the mountains on either sides and desert plains, the winds come to that region sometimes in hurricanatic strength. Tornado-like weather sometimes threatens to destroy all that are upon the Sea of Galilee. And this must have been what is happening for these disciples. And they are careful as the storm gets more boisterous, as the waves crash higher and more desperately upon their frail boat, as the wind has ripped and torn, and now there's no sail anymore reaching toward the sky or toward the wind above their dinghy, their boat. There, there now is only them desperately trying to stay above water. It's interesting to me as you read this story, both in Mark and in Luke, you'll find that they were hesitant to wake Jesus up. You can see his desperate need for rest as the rocking and the rolling has not awakened him. The water probably soaking his pillow has not awakened him. The cries of desperation of the sailors have not awakened him. The wind howling and moving the boat and the tipping and the dipping and the crashing has not awakened him. And you see somehow the disciples are hesitant to wake him. He is so exhausted. He is so tired. Until finally, because they fear, we're not going to make it. And the only hope we have is Jesus They reluctantly, hesitantly go back to where he is and they awaken him. And you hear the desperation in their words as they say, don't you care that we perish? How can you sleep while we're dying? Won't you do something for us? How could you not be awakened by the winds and the waves and the rocking and still you're just sleeping? Don't you care? What an interesting statement to ask Jesus Does he care about you? Does he care about the circumstance and situation we are in? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Of course he loves you. Of course he loves me. Of course he cares for us. In particular when the storms are in our lives. Jesus rises out of slumber. He awakens and probably from a deep sleep, he begins to make his way to the bow of the boat. And there he faces the raging wind and storm and speaks, peace be still. And instantly, miraculously, The wind that was tipping them and blowing them over is now just a gentle breeze through their hair. And the sea that was tossing and turning and threatening to take them all the way to 141 foot deep is now just a placid glass-like scene. Instantly, the storm is gone. 
gone. Instantly, miraculously, suddenly, things are changed. And what used to be life-threatening is completely gone. It is a wonderful thing when you can look into the back part of your boat, if you will, and know that one reach away is Jesus. That one call away, that one prayer away is the peace speaker. It's the one that the wind listens to. That just one shaking away, one intercession away is one that the waves know the voice of the creator of all nature and it still understands its creator. We have to remember that this is a time of infancy, of immaturity for the disciples. They are brand new to following Christ. This is some of the first miracles and things that they have seen. And indeed, He was there in the boat with them. But it is quite another story we find. Mark 6, John 6, Matthew 14. Because it's very similar to this first story in that Jesus sends them across the Sea of Galilee. That He has spoken directly to them to go. That He has been ministering. In fact, this is where He just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And He, after ministering to thousands, He now does not get in the boat to rest but he goes up to the mountain to restore, to renew, to find his rest and to find his strength. So this time when Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee like they have done maybe hundreds of times, this time he's not in the boat with them. It's one thing to face a storm knowing that arm's length away is Jesus. But it's quite something else. And I'm speaking to people today who go into the midst of the storm and when you call out, it's like, where is he? Can you see how desperate I am, Jesus? But it's like he doesn't hear your voice. It's like he somehow has decided to send you into the storm and he goes the opposite direction to the mountain. It seems like that everything that you know how to do to awaken him, to arouse him, to get him to somehow step to the edge of the boat of your storm and speak peace, he's he's not there. He's not attainable. He's not seemingly touchable. This is a level of faith that God is teaching the disciples now in their maturity. Now that they have been with him a while, they know he's a miracle worker. The wind and the waves obey his voice. They have sat with knees upon the boats of the shore, the floor of the boat, as they said, What manner of man is this? That the stars, that the sun, that the sea, that all of nature obey him. But now he's not there. This is a faith of maturity. This is a faith being taught to them of greater level than what they have had to understand before. A trust to a new dimension. The scripture lets us know that as Jesus is climbing the mountain, 
He sees the disciples obeying his voice, his words, his direction, and they are in the boat, and they are headed across the Sea of Galilee. This would have been the first watch of the night, which understanding the times and culture, it would have been approximately 6 p.m. as the disciples began to row and perhaps sail across the shore and Jesus going up the mountain. And Jesus can already see, the gospel tells us, that the winds begun to be contrary. They are having to fight. They are having to struggle in order to keep course and to maintain somehow some semblance of going forward. But even though Jesus sees that they are in trouble, He continues on His journey to the mountain. And all evening long and all night long, He knows they're struggling. In fact, this two-hour journey, if they were crossing the widest girth of the Sea of Galilee, should only take two hours. And now they've been rowing from 6 p.m., 8 p.m., 10 p.m., 12 p.m., and they still are getting nowhere. They're not even halfway. Until finally it is the third watch of the night, which understanding that would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in the last hours of the dark of the night. Then Jesus, after all of this time, they have been rowing and fighting the storm for some 10, 11, or more hours. And Jesus, knowing they were in the storm, has done nothing. And now finally... He is off the mountain, and he is seemingly headed at least in their direction. And he has not calmed the storm. He has not made the sea placid. He has not calmed the wind until it's a breeze only. But he has chosen to walk on top in the middle of their storm, what is threatening to take their lives, what is threatening to take every bit of energy and effort that they have, he is out in the middle of. You can see how desperate they are for what they had thought would be perhaps a less than two-hour journey has become 10, 11 hours, and they're exhausted. They are not only exhausted physically, they have put their minds to everything they can possibly do. They're exhausted mentally. Their emotions are gone. They're depleted to such a degree that when they see Jesus walking on the water, and it's important to note this, the scripture said that when they saw him, he was walking as if to pass them by. He's not even coming to their boat. He's just walking by. But in their thoughts, because of their emotional depletion, the weariness, they immediately began to think the worst, fear. And they say there's evil spirits walking out here in the storm. We see a ghost, if you will. And some of them, out of fear, identify Jesus as a ghost. Others with perhaps a little greater faith saw that it was upon the storm. That what was walking out there was above 
the power and the authority of the storm. And immediately they said, no, that's Jesus walking on the storm. And they call out to him. And he speaks peace to them. And Simon Peter, this is probably one of our greatest Sunday school stories growing up. What a tremendous miracle that Simon Peter looks out at Jesus. The howling of the wind is still happening. The crashing of the waves is still going on. Their storm is still threatening to destroy them. And Simon Peter calls out and says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And the Lord says, come. And somehow, Simon Peter, through the rocking of that boat, crashing of that wind, that hurricanatic-like wind, he climbs out of the boat with his eyes on Jesus. He gets out of whatever safety he thought he had in the past. And now he begins to go in faith to the middle of what was his biggest problem, his biggest storm, his biggest trial that a few moments before he thought was going to end his life in everything that he has. And now because Jesus said, come, and Simon Peter sees Jesus walking in the supernatural, now he hears the message, come, and he walks in the supernatural just like Jesus is. And Simon Peter begins to walk on that water. And we know the story that shortly afterwards he began to look around and got his eyes back off Jesus and back onto his storm. And when that began to happen, he began to sink. This is the key to what's happening here in this supernatural story. It's about your focus. It's about your vision. It's about what you are looking at. And Simon Peter begins to go beneath the waves. And supernaturally, immediately, Jesus is there to grasp him and pull him up. And immediately the Bible says that they were in the boats. And then immediately again in a couple of verses, we find them on the shore. There's a storm that he would not stop so that their faith would increase. But there's also a dimension here of the peace that is being spoken. If you look up peace in Webster's Dictionary, pretty good book, by the way. Wouldn't recommend it for easy reading, but good information. Webster's Dictionary, this is the definition of what the world says peace is. Number one definition is the absence of war. There's no wars going on, you have peace. It continues on that if there's no fight, you have peace. If there's no storm, you have peace. If there's no conflict, if there's no oppression, no depression, if you're not in any battle, then you have peace. And there are times, sometimes in the immaturity or the infancy of our walk with God, we need our God to extract us from a situation and instantaneous, miraculously, He speaks to us and our faith is strong and strengthened because of an instantaneous miracle. But there's a greater testimony to the world. 
And there's a greater dimension of peace and faith than even the miraculous. Because the world only understands peace as the absence of the storm. But with Jesus, with the Comforter, with the Holy Ghost, with the Paraclete, there's a peace even in the midst of your storm. He makes up the difference. And if you don't have enough knowledge and understanding and facts to deal with the situation, his wisdom makes up enough difference. And if you don't have enough peace and enough joy to get your emotions and spirit through it, the Holy Ghost makes up the difference. And if you don't have enough financial uh, peace and place that where you can count on your financial deposits and resources. He will make a difference in your finance if you don't have enough understanding to navigate the ups and downs and vicissitudes of relationship. He will make the difference. He's the comforter. He's the peace in the midst of your store. Here's the key to this supernatural It's Jesus will stand in the midst of your storm where he sent you. How many times have I heard clear voices of pastors, even your pastor today made this statement that this pandemic did not catch God by surprise. That the financial suppression of so many has not been somehow sneaked in while God was not looking. In fact, I would say very clearly, God has allowed this situation to happen for many reasons, and the enemy thought it would destroy, but God is going to make it for good. But he will stand there, and though he could, he has not chosen to just obliterate the virus, to instantly change the economy, to instantly begin to put trust back in anxious hearts he could but there's a place of faith and trust and revelation of peace that he's trying to speak to us as his people today and the key is this he is in the middle of the storm and his call to us is come and where we are going is not in the middle of the storm We've been in the storm in what little bitty safety we thought we had. But we've come to a realization, done everything we can. The pandemic is still upon us. Still increase those with the virus. Still financial pressure happening. Still because of pressures and stress, relationships are coming to a place and struggle where fear is consuming people. Hurt is happening. Pain is what we are struggling with. We're in the storm. And we have been perhaps much longer in this storm than what any of us thought we would be. What looked like a two-hour journey has lasted until a lot of our resources are about gone. But What I hear the Spirit saying today is don't get out of your boat and get into the storm. That's not the call. The call is come to Jesus. It's to realize that the storm is here 
And God will let you benefit in the midst of the storm. That there is a place of the comforter, the Holy Ghost in your life. Where if this storm brought you to receiving the Holy Ghost for the first time, bring on the storm because it's worth it. If the storm has caused you to develop in your home a place of praise and worship that was not there, if the storm has developed a place of prayer, an altar, a place in your home that was not there, thank God for the storm because we must have this in these last days in our home. Mostly what God is speaking to us to do is not just, please hear me carefully, not just put personal strengths in our life of walking with God. Not just disciplines of prayer and of study. Not just disciplines of the Word of God. But in this storm, He's wanting us to come to Him. Draw close to Him. Use all of these things that are our discipline for this priority. Get close to Him. And if you will keep your eyes on Him, drawing close to Him, you will find yourself supernaturally operating in this storm with peace, with strength, with faith. Even when the storm is raging, you will operate in financial blessing. Even with the storm raging, you'll operate in peace and relationship. Even with the storm raging, you'll find health and blessing and recovery of health. Even in the midst of what's happening, if you'll come, to Jesus. And the minute you get your eyes, Simon Peter, off of Jesus and back on the storm is the moment you'll begin to sink again in the midst of what you're fighting and battling. This is why the peace that God gives us is not the peace that the world has. Because the only peace the world can have is when there's no wars when there's no fighting, when there's no pandemic, when there's no fear, financial oppression, when there's no battle, that's the only peace that this world knows. But through the power of the Holy Ghost, the paraclete, the comforter, there's a peace that comes in the midst of your storm. And you can walk in the supernatural upon water, raging winds, You can walk in the supernatural of right where we're at. If you'll hear the call of the Lord today, come. Come. As I'm speaking to people today that are listening and watching online, the Spirit is asking many of you to come to Him in a place of repentance. It's time to quit resisting the love of God and come to Him with honesty and openness and say, Lord, here am I. I've been fighting way too long. I've been struggling way too long. Perhaps you've not been easy reach for me in my boat, but I know, God, that I can come to you right now in the midst of the storm. And if you'll begin to give your heart into repentance and pray to him in forgiveness, he'll forgive you. 
There's some that need to make a commitment in baptism in Jesus' name. Calling on the name of Jesus which washes away your sin and committing to the ideology, the theology of Jesus Christ. Being baptized into his name, into his purpose, into his kingdom. And then the paraclete or the comforter would come. Acts 2.38, Simon Peter declares this. If you'll repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that comforter, that paraclete, and you'll speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Come to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. Come to Jesus. And I'm preaching. I'm speaking to saints of the Most High God. I'm speaking to beloved, the elect. I'm speaking to those that are his children. And he's declaring you've had your eyes on the storm too much. You're doing too much checking on how many coronavirus, how many deaths. You're doing too much checking on what the economy doing and what the economy is not doing. You've done too much eyes on the storm. He wants you to get your eyes on him and come to Jesus. And if you'll come to Jesus, there's a peace in the midst of your storm. This is the peace that God gives. I want to encourage you right now. I'm going to pray a prayer for you. But even in your home or perhaps wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to begin to talk to the Lord. And as we talk to the Lord, if you are spirit-filled, I'm asking you to build up your faith as Jude tells us by praying in the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to speak a word of faith and peace over you. If you're here, you're listening to me under the sound of my voice and you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's for you. He loves you and he wants to pour out his spirit upon you. Please get in touch with this pastor. Get in touch here with Restoration App apostolic church and let them help you in your journey of salvation the water here is ready and with safety concerns we'll baptize you in the name of Jesus we'll pray with you properly through whatever means we can so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in tongues it's time for you to receive the peace of God that God wants you to have in your life stand right now wherever you're at throw up your hands wherever you're at and begin to talk to God saints of God pray in the spirit. I pray by the authority of the word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus that a peace of God that passes all understanding will fall upon his people. Our eyes are upon you, Jesus. Our thoughts are upon you, Jesus. We seek and search you out, Lord. We receive your peace even in the midst of our storm. And I speak of faith right now in the hearts of those who need repentance and baptism and fill the Holy Ghost receive your commitment and let your faith arise to follow after Jesus right now receive it in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus I feel a word of wisdom with a handful of people that are in this auditorium gathers kind of close to where the recording of this is And I'm just going to ask us to pray in the Spirit and begin to entertain the presence of God in worship for just maybe three or four minutes as First Lady begins to sing and begins to lead us in worship. We need an atmosphere so that some that are watching right now can pray, can talk to God, can speak to God, and the Holy Ghost will begin to touch and minister peace to them. Right now, would you lift your hands one more time? Peace of God, peace of God. While the saints are calling out, while the Spirit of God is reaching.
Would you answer the call? Come to Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Come to Jesus. There's peace for you right now. Sing it, First Lady. Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus. Let's don't stop just right yet for a second. Let's thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Even in your homes, don't stop yet. Lift your voice. Begin to pray. Glory to God. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you. Well, that's incredible. When Jesus said, it's my peace and not as the world's peace. I just never thought about that. But I realized that through those definitions that Brother Green was reading, that for the world to have peace, they have to have the absence of something. 
But for us to have peace, it's the presence of something. And it's, the pre it's not the presence of money. It's not the presence of fame or fortune or car. It's the presence of the Prince of Peace. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. I'm so thankful for the peace of the Lord today. And I'm thankful uh, for a reminder today that even in this time of uncertainty and a time of what do we do and how long is this going to last that, hey, the Lord's going to be with us. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 One day he'll wipe all tears away. But you know, right now, he just bottled them up. He's going to be there. God's going to be with you. I'm so thankful for this word today. If you are, you ought to lift your hands and thank the Lord for it today. God's spoken to our hearts today. The word of God, that seed has been sown today. The word will accomplish what it sets out to do. Let me tell you, your life will be different today. Your approach towards your storm, towards your trial and your test will be different from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're getting ready to come to a close here for you online, but the Lord's still moving in this sanctuary. Those that are here will continue to pray for a few moments longer. For those of you that have watched us today, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining in today. You can continue to pray in your home and just let the Lord bless you. Uh, we'll be with you again. There's some announcements coming tomorrow for our church, our church schedule, things like that. So be looking forward to tuning into that. Have a wonderful day today, and God bless you in Jesus' name.